Over the last six to seven weeks, we've been taking a little bit of a gradual journey. We started by thinking about what kind of church would we like to be as vintage Pasadena? And if you can remember back that far, you'll remember we talked quite a lot about that Acts 2 church, the church that loved God, that loved each other, that was full of the Holy Spirit, that reached out into the world around them. Um, and we've been gradually transitioning to think a little bit more as we get into this period that the church calls Lent as we run up to Easter about not just the kind of organization we want to be, but actually the kind of people that we want to be. And uh, over this Lent period, we're going to be doing a little series here and across all the different vintage sites called Overcoming. And um, we know that when we become Christians, that God invites us to live life and life to the full, that he has plans for us, that he has purposes for us, he has adventures for us, he has all sorts of incredible things for us to encounter. But if you're like me, you might find yourself of just occasionally going, yeah, that's fine, but my life doesn't look like that right now. Actually, when God says in Ephesians 2 that I am his masterpiece, I don't feel like a masterpiece. In fact, I've got so much stuff going on in my life right now that even just getting through today is a tough deal. That in fact, we have so much things going on sometimes that it just keeps us locked down. They're almost like barriers that stop us living into the life that God has for us. That when God says, I want fullness and joy and peace and purpose and value and meaning, we're going, I can't. I'm just too broken. I'm just too hurting for that. That we have hurts and habits and hang-ups, these things that kind of like strap us down, that keep us away from the very life that God is inviting us into. And we're going to be talking over this Lent period about how we can address some of those things in the power of the Spirit well, in a good way, so that we can be free, so that we can live life to the full as God intended. Now, the Bible talks about the things that oppose us, oppose God's life for us under three categories. It talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're a little bit like the unholy trinity of the Bible. And over these six weeks, we're going to take two weeks on each one of these to try and unpack what this thing is and how we can do uh, some business with God in this area. And um, I don't know about you, but I would love to be free of some stuff in my life. Anybody else love to just be free of some of the stuff that holds us back? Two. Brilliant. <laughs> the good news is the rest of you are perfect, and that's exciting. Um, but I would love to be free of some of the stuff that holds me back in my life. And so we're going to think today about the flesh, this weird concept, the weird word that the Bible uses. What is it? How do we see some freedom in that aspect of our life? So I'm going to invite Irene to come up, and she's going to read for us um, from Ephesians chapter 5, studying, starting at verse 13. It'll be on the screen, uh, or it will be in your Bibles, or on your phones, or wherever you'd like to read it. Ephesians 5. Live by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will just be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Great, thank you. It's pretty heavy, that passage, isn't it? If you're thinking of running for the door right now, just hold on a minute. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So Paul is writing to a very new church in Galatia. It was a church that probably wasn't made up of a lot of people from Jewish backgrounds. It would have largely been people from other religions, from Gentile backgrounds. And in the book of Galatians, what Paul is doing is he's writing to speak about the life that God offers in Jesus And particularly, he's writing to address a problem that's arisen in the church, where people are saying to this new church, yeah, you can be a Christian, but in order to be a Christian, you also need to do all this stuff in the Jewish law. Particularly, he's talking about circumcision. And what Paul is writing to say is this, is no, when you become a Christian, you become a Christian through faith in Jesus Christ. That there is nothing about being a Christian that adds anything or subtracts anything other than knowing that God has saved us, that knowing that Jesus' cross is what pays the penalty and the brokenness and all the rubbish and stuff that we face in our life. But when we become a Christian, it's not just a ticket to heaven and we leave it there, but that there's in fact a new life that's on offer. It's a life full of the Holy Spirit that bubbles up within us now and goes into all eternity. And we need to hold that before we can even talk about the flesh. We just need to know this. Your salvation, my salvation, whether or not we're a Christian, none of those things are in question if we're feeling a bit bad today. The only thing that makes any difference is that God loves us. Okay. So what is the flesh and how do we overcome it? Well, verse 17 says this. The flesh wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the flesh desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The word in the Greek is the word sarx. It's a funny word, and it can mean three different things. It can mean your body. It can mean your skin and your bones. It can also mean the wider humanity that we live within. But in this context, and it's the same throughout the Bible, it's used to mean the corrupted, distorted desires that sometimes go on in our hearts. You don't need to worry that your body is evil or anything like that. But within each of us, there is some sort of sense of a brokenness that Paul wants to talk about. That when God made us in the beginning, God did make us well. When God made Adam and Eve, he said of them, they are very good. He made Adam and Eve with these beautiful desires, desires to love each other to love God, to care for creation, to bless those around them, to serve, to encourage. But also, if you read through those first three books of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you read about a brokenness. 
You read about a thing called the fall, and we'll talk more about that over the next five weeks. And that through the fall, something broke in the world's story. Now, it's not just on the macro level something broke. That definitely happened. That is why we have earthquakes. That is why we have the coronavirus. It is why we have cancer. It is a lot of those things. But also something broke in the human condition. That each one of us now no longer has desires that are totally pure and holy. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, you don't read mostly about people loving God, loving one another, encouraging, caring for the world around them. In fact, what you start to read about is greed and brokenness and murder and idolatry. And what Paul wants to tell us is that these are the very things within us which sabotage the life that God has on offer for us. And Paul tells us that this happens in two different ways. The first thing is that the flesh gives us desires for things that are just bad. Ever had a desire for something that was just bad? Yeah. We all the time can think, aren't we? Oh, that thing, I know it is a really bad idea but I'm going to do it anyway. Because we desire it, because we're not thinking about the wider context, something within us goes, just go for it. Um, There's a famous comedian, a guy called Russell Brand. You know Russell Brand? He used to be married to Katy Perry. Kind of an interesting character. Not the most upstanding character that's ever come out of the United Kingdom, but has some very, very good thoughts on some stuff. I don't think he'd call himself a Christian, but he's a very spiritual guy. And he made a video, which you can see on YouTube, which I watched recently, all about pornography. And he said this. He said, like, not once ever... Have I ever watched pornography and got to the end of it and thought, that was really good. That was really wholesome. That really built up the people within the film. That's a really edifying thing. He he said, I never, ever thought that. In fact, I knew every time I've watched pornography that probably there's some sort of abuse or trafficking, some exploitation going on in that film. I know it's a terrible message for society. But at the same time, he said, I can't stop myself from doing it. Because something within me makes me want to do that. There's something within the human heart which desires things we just know are bad for us. But the second thing the flesh does, Paul says, is that it's not just that we desire things that are just out and out terrible, but it's also that there is something that happens where we over-desire things that are good. You know that phrase, you can't have too much of a good thing? It turns out it's not true. I'm sorry, it's not true. But I, was, I remember um, as a teenager playing in this soccer match, and I ran and I ran and I ran, and I got to the end, and I was like, man, I must have burned some calories today. I'm going to go to the local store, and I'm going to buy the biggest bag of Doritos that I can find, and I'm going to buy two massive great bottles of Mountain Dew, and I'm just going to drink them and eat them because you, know, you can't have too much of a good thing. Do you know what happens? It makes you very sick. <laughs> Very violently ill everywhere. It's, it's not a good thing. You can have too much of a good thing. Tim Keller says that what the flesh does in our life is it turns things that are really good things into things that are God things. Good things become God things. And actually, when we over-desire them, the word is um, epithemia, it means that it, those things are unhealthy in our life. I mean, let me just give you a few examples. I have discovered as a parent that I have to love my children. That is part of what it means to be a parent. I have to protect them. I have to care for them. I have to raise them in the right way. But I also know that if I over-desire them, if I over-protect them, if I over-mollycoddle them, 
that actually I'm going to smother them. Last week we talked about money and how money is a really great thing that God gives us to invest, to give away, to change the world around us. But actually, as we talked about last week, if you love money, if it becomes the biggest thing in your life, actually it becomes very damaging because you're obsessed by it. You know, we're told all the time, you know, be healthy, be fit. I'm still working on it. But we're told that that's who we're supposed to be, and it's really good. But if we push that one to the limits, we can find ourselves you know, obsessed, obsessed about what our body looks like and our weight and what we're eating. We can end up worshipping the physical body that we have rather than what God wants to do with it. With security, we can go, yeah, well, God has great plans for my life. He wants to do really, really good things with me. But actually, if it impacts my security, if it impacts my safety, if it impacts my comfort, then I'm not interested. I'm out. Because those are the things that are the most important in my life. We can do it with food, especially when there's In-N-Out Burger or Chick-fil-A on the, on the options. We can do it in so many different things. We can over-desire them. We can do it with our career. And the problem is that what happens is it takes the balance, takes the things which are good in our lives, and it turns them into an addiction. It turns them into an an idol in our lives. And if you don't know what an idol is, it's simply this, something that you put up in the middle of your life and you bow down in front of it. And we all have idols. And as we go for these things, as we desire these things, what we find is that we start to live not the balanced, joyful, peaceful life that God has desired for us. But instead, we start to live a life that is unhealthy. We start to live a life that hurts, that damages us, and damages those around us. Don't worry, it's going to get better. But what the flesh does, Paul says, is that these fleshly desires within us create a battle that goes on. You see, before we're Christians, these fleshly desires are let to run rampant all over our lives. That they are restrained only by basically some sense of our morality or by social acceptability or by the law. But when we become a Christian, it's not that the flesh rules our hearts. In fact, what we're told is that when we become Christian, the spirit rules our hearts. Paul says that the Holy Spirit enters into us supernaturally and begins a healing work, a renewing work in our hearts, that we do become born again with a new source of motivations and a new heart. That not only do we now just go, well, I just want all that stuff and it's really bad for me and I don't know what to do. In fact, now we've got this whole competing thing going on, which is a desire for what is good and right. And sometimes that can feel a little bit like a tug of war in our lives. It's a bit like, you know, those old Disney cartoons where you had like the the, the devil on one shoulder and you had the angel on the other shoulder and they were always arguing with one another. That's what it can feel like sometimes because we are have God speaking to us about stuff, but we also have stuff that really is damaging. And it can cause all sorts of stuff in our lives. Um, you know, it can be like this. Man, I want to be generous. I want to be open-handed. I want to give of my first and my best back to God, but actually I also want to be safe and comfortable and all those things. You know, I I want to forgive my enemies when I'm driving down the 210 freeway and somebody drives into the back of me like they did this week and I stop my car and then everybody else starts shouting and screaming at me because I've stopped my car. It's like, I want to forgive my enemies, but I also want to punch people in the face in, in that moment. It's kind of what happens, isn't it? It's like, I want to be faithful in my marriage, but actually, oh, I know that there's these temptations to do things which are going to erode that trust in the relationship that I have. 
I want to be honest and fair, but actually I know if I just take a little shortcut, I can get something quickly that I want. Yeah, you know that one? I, I used to work in business. Um, I was in the car industry for a lot of years. And um, not just signaling out that industry, but industries quite like that one are so ridden with this sense that it's like, if you just take a little half-truth, if you just shortcut the total absolute truth, you can get a couple more hundred bucks in your back pocket. And that's a good thing. So just do it. That's the kind of stuff that says. And Paul says this, is that which of the desires you choose, if you choose to go for life in the spirit... It lived, leads to life and goodness and peace. But if you choose to live into the brokenness, if you live, live in the fleshly desires, then actually it's going to lead to death. And Paul tells us a little bit about what the two different things are. He says in verse 19, he says, the deathly life looks like this. It looks like hostility. It looks like quarreling. It looks like jealousy. It looks like outbursts of anger and dissension and division and envy and drunkenness. And that's not an exhaustive list, I'm sure. It's just examples. But he says, if you follow the Spirit, then your life will produce this kind of food, fruit. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. I think sometimes in our charismatic churches, we think that the fruits of, you know, spirit is all about what happens when we pray for people and people fall over or people have very big prophetic gifts. And that, and that is absolutely part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But Paul reminds us that if you really want to find someone who's spirit filled, if you really want to find someone who the spirit is coursing through their veins, this is what it looks like. It looks like joy. It looks like peace. It looks like patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And I don't know about you, but boy, do I need some of those things in my life. We are what we invest our lives into. We reap what we sow, Paul tells us. You will always, he says in verse 7, harvest what you plant. And so every day, every minute, every second, every hour, we face the choice. The choice of life and the choice of death. And sometimes those choices are massive, you know, like, what am I going to do with my life? What career? Who am I going to marry? But often I think those choices are tiny. They're, they're minuscule choices. You know, I've never, ever heard of someone who says, I'm going to get up today, I'm going to murder someone. I'm totally fine. In fact, what happens is that people just start to make bad choices and make bad choices and they make bad choices until the last bad choice they make is a terrible and horrific one. I've never heard of someone who got up in the morning and went, I think today I'm going to commit adultery. That would be a good thing. Nobody ever thinks like that. What they do is they just make bad choices, inch by inch. I think I'm just going to message somebody who I probably shouldn't message later at night. Oh, I think I might just meet somebody for coffee who I probably shouldn't meet. Or I'm just going to, make, I'm going to be alone with somebody who I shouldn't be alone with. And it just goes like this, and it goes like this, and it goes like this, until we find ourselves in a place we never dreamed or imagined that we could ever be in before. We choose and we live, or we choose and we die. But here's the problem, and I think this is where it really hits, the rubber hits the road in our culture, is that actually this whole idea of good and bad, it totally flies in the face of everything we are told in our society right now. I think about 100 years ago, if you'd have said to someone, look, there are things that are good and you should go for them, 
and there are things that there are bad and you should probably not go for them, that would have been a completely sensible thing to say. But now if you say to someone, that's what it's like, they go, that's not really how it is. Actually, mate, you be you, I'll be me. I'm going to live into who I am because this is just who I am and you just be you. And in fact, I can do anything I want with anyone I want, anytime I want to do it, as long as the thing that I do doesn't directly impact you or at least I don't think that it directly impacts me. We're always told, just be true to yourself. But I wonder if you've ever thought this, which self are you supposed to be true to? It's like there is no greater lie in my life than this one. Do what makes you feel right. If I did what always made me feel right, it would be a disaster. I promise you. Some of the things which are my strongest desires are the worst things for me. You know, can you imagine what would happen if I said to my kids, just always do what you want. Just live into your desires. 22 hours a day, Netflix. One hour of the day, chocolate. Maybe one hour of a day, sleeping. Possible. Some of the strongest desires that I have are the ones that cause me the most harm. Some of the weakest desires are the very ones that lead to life. So how do we overcome the battle of the flesh? How do we even begin to take this journey? I'm just going to finish by looking at a few different things. The first thing, Paul says, is that we overcome the battle of the flesh by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their flesh to his cross and crucified them there. As Christians, this is the good news. You are on the winning side. You are on the winning side. If you're here today and you've never put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus, I want to invite you. Today is a great day to do that. Because until you make that step, anything to do with trying to be a a winner against the flesh is extraordinarily impossible. But we have the winning side because of what Jesus has done in our life. When we become Christians, J.I. Packer says, the flesh has been dethroned in our hearts. And it's not an equal tug of war anymore. God has won the victory. Sometimes I think we can think of like this, like, Flesh drives my car, I'm the passenger, and maybe God is somewhere in the distance telling me I shouldn't be doing it. In fact, Paul tells us, no, when we become Christians, the spirit drives the car. We might be the passenger, but the devil, evil, the flesh, is just a noisy backseat driver. It's just a noisy backseat driver. You don't have to listen to the flesh anymore. You know, if you're here today and you go, well, that's just who I am. You know, I am always going to struggle with greed, porn, shopping addiction, gossip, eating the wrong stuff, alcohol, drugs, you know, whatever it means. I want to tell you that doesn't have to be your story. You don't have to be a victim anymore because Jesus has started a work in your life as a Christian which will change you from the inside out. In Jesus, we do have the victory. We can have hope. But at the same time, we're never going to do this by willpower. Paul doesn't just say, okay then, just stop it. Just try harder. Just Google a life hack. Just say no. 
What Paul says is this. I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your flesh craves. Paul's solution to the changes that we all need in our lives is not willpower, it's spirit power. God's solution to your problems is not willpower, it's spirit power. And the spirit works in two distinct ways. The first thing is that the spirit makes the desires of our flesh less appealing. The first thing is he makes the desires of our flesh less appealing. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their flesh to his cross and crucified them there. The spirit crucifies the flesh. It kills it off. Now, it doesn't mean that when we're full of the spirit, we suddenly are perfect. I wish it was like that. Jesus was tempted when he was in the desert. But what the Spirit does is the Spirit takes away the appeal of the things by going right to the heart of the issue in our lives. Um, I remember being at university. I went to a very big sports university when I was 18 uh, in England. And the university had this horrendous reputation for alcoholism. Um, they did, it was always in the national newspapers for these kind of parties and things that were going on. And um, they did this survey of university health. And one of the questions on the survey was, how much alcohol do you drink in a week? And they issued the survey across the campus. And then they had to recall the survey because on the first version of the survey, the top bracket was, I drink up to 100 units of alcohol a week. And they discovered that it wasn't enough. It wasn't even close to being enough. Now, You'll be happy to know I wasn't fully into that culture, but it was totally part of the Christian life as it was all the life, the campus, to go out for, you know, go out for some beers, go out for some wine. It's all just part of life. life. And for the most part, it was great. But I remember at one Lent being challenged, like, well, what happens if you didn't have that thing in your life? And I remember thinking, okay, well, this Lent, I am going to invite the Holy Spirit into my life and I'm going to give up alcohol for Lent. You can do it, you cannot do it. It, was just a, it felt like a good thing to do at the time. And for the first few days, what happens is this. It's hard. It's really difficult. But over the course of that 40-day period, by the end, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think I really care anymore about alcohol. I don't really care about having a drink because the Spirit had changed the very motivations and desires in my heart. So the Spirit takes away some of that bad stuff when we allow him into our life. But what the Spirit also does is this. The Spirit makes the things of God seem more appealing than the things of the world. The Spirit of God makes the things of God seem more appealing than the things of the world. Verse 25, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. That the Spirit makes God real to us. He gives us a taste of goodness. And when we've had a taste of goodness, suddenly the rubbish doesn't seem to matter anymore. Like We used to, in our churches, um, have instant coffee all the time, right? That was kind of totally acceptable thing to do at the end of a church service. But then you had like filter coffee came in and then like Starbucks came in. And now it turns out here in LA, we have a whole nother level of artisan coffee, which like blows my mind that somewhere way up into the heavenly realms. And, and if you meet somebody who loves that kind of coffee, do you know somebody like that? Yeah, maybe you are that person. Um, if, if, if you are that person and you say to them, would you like an instant coffee? 
that will end your friendship within instant, won't it? Because once we've tasted the good stuff, you can't go back to the bad stuff. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to help us experience the beauty of who God is. He wants us to help us to experience his riches, his power, so that our desire for him increases, our desire for the things of the Spirit increase more, and then the things of flesh start to die away. C.S. Lewis, very famous author and theologian, he says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. We fool around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are too easily pleased. We're too easily pleased. We settle for things that are bad for us when huge beauty and joy and life is on offer to us. And so my prayer is for all of us and for myself is that over these next six weeks, we will take some time to do business with the Holy Spirit. That we will allow the Holy Spirit into some of those areas of our lives, which maybe even right now, they seem so insurmountable, so entrenched in our lives. We just convinced ourselves that there's nothing that's ever going to change in those areas. And I want to encourage us this Lent to take some steps to invite the Holy Spirit in. It might mean that even just in a few minutes' time, you just say, I'm just going to get somebody to come and pray, to pray for me because I, you know, I just need the Holy Spirit to start to work in this area of my life. It might be, and we're going to talk more about this next week, that there are some spiritual disciplines, some practices that you want to start to implement in your life to start to do that. It might be that off the back of this Lent series, you think, man, I need to go for some healing prayer, and you go and do one of the sozo prayers or one of those kind of healing ministries. But I am convinced that the Spirit wants to do big things in our life, that God's desire for you is to not to live as a slave to the brokenness, to not to live as a slave to the things that have held you back, maybe even for a long time, that the Spirit wants to bring life. The Spirit wants to bring transformation. And so as I close, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I'm going to pray for a few different um, groups of people. Um, but I want you to just know, if you are here, and as I've been speaking, like a few of those things have just gone, yep, that's me. I want you to know you're not on your own, because probably we all just felt like that. But God wants to do something to heal us, to change us, to shape us, to mold us, to free us into the life that he's invited us into. So let's pray.